Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. When it comes to the coronavirus pandemic in California, L.A. County and the Bay Area often get the lion's share of attention. But the Central Valley is also grappling with growing virus caseloads and deaths. Yesterday, Governor Gavin Newsom announced the state will direct tens of millions of dollars to the valley to slow the spread of COVID-19 there. KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos reports. Standing at the Diamond Foods headquarters in Stockton, Newsom noted that COVID-19 positivity rates in the eight-county Central Valley region are around double the state average, and that farm and food processing workers have to stay on the job. So today we're announcing $52 million investment, new dollars that will be put into the Central Valley, uh, into the eight counties to improve our isolation protocols, our quarantine protocols, our testing protocols, uh, and to enhance our healthcare workers uh, by providing more support uh, as well as more personnel. Newsom says the money will come from a nearly $500 million CDC grant the state was awarded. For the California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos. The governor also underscored how Latinos and African-Americans in the Central Valley have contracted the coronavirus at a much higher rate than the general population. In the battle against the pandemic, contact tracing of infected people is supposed to be a powerful weapon, but so far it's had mixed results. Now Los Angeles County has a new approach involving dollar incentives. KPCC's Jackie Fortier has more. Contact tracers follow up with people who test positive and people they've had close contact with to help them safely quarantine. The goal is to stop the spread of COVID-19. But in L.A. County, less than half of people will share information about their close contacts. L.A. County health officials will begin a new pilot program next week, offering people $20 for participating. We're hopeful that it will work. We really respect that people have to give us an hour of their time, and we're hoping that this incentive will make it easy. That was L.A. County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer. She also assured people that if they test positive for COVID-19, their identity will not be shared with anyone beyond the contact tracer who reaches out to them. The pilot program will run for an initial three weeks. For The California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. In an open letter published this week, hundreds of healthcare workers are calling on Governor Gavin Newsom to reduce the state's prison population to lessen the spread of COVID-19. KQED Shannon Lynn reports. More than 750 doctors, nurses, and frontline workers are urging Newsom to reduce the overall prison population to below 50% of its current capacity. 
State correction officials are expected to release up to 8,000 incarcerated people by the end of August. Inmates aged 65 and older are one group getting priority as officials consider who to release. But UCSF medical student Shada Abui says research shows the stress of incarceration ages people, and facilities should drop the age criteria to people 50 and older to account for that. We've actually medically observed that there is an accelerated aging to the point where individuals are more medically vulnerable than their equally aged counterparts in the general community. At least 19 people incarcerated at San Quentin have died from what appears to be complications due to the coronavirus. That's nearly half of the statewide total. For the California Report, I'm Shannon Lynn. Some 45,000 child care providers across the state can now bargain with the state for better pay and benefits after voting overwhelmingly to unionize Monday. KQD's Julia McAvoy reports. The victory comes after years of fighting to win the right to bargain in an industry that is notorious for offering low pay and long hours. We want and deserve a seat at the table, and the state will now recognize us. Nancy Harvey runs a child care facility in West Oakland. As a child, I witnessed firsthand seeing the Black Panther Party marching for justice and equality a block away from my home. And here I am today, 58 years young, fighting for some of the same issues that folks were fighting for in the 60s. 97 percent of those babysitters, early childhood educators, and home daycare providers, mostly women of color, who voted by mail-in ballot, voted to become Child Care Providers United. Lee Saunders is president of the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. The seat at the table means everything. It means everything for your economic security. It means everything for your livelihoods, for the working families you serve, and for the affordable, accessible child care system that California needs to rebuild its economy. The vote was made possible after the governor signed a bill last fall allowing family child care providers paid by the state and who serve low-income families to unionize. And it comes as the pandemic has caused one in four child care facilities to close. For The California Report, I'm Julia McAvoy. Although shortages aren't as bad as they were when the coronavirus pandemic broke out, many medical professionals still struggle to find personal protective equipment, or PPE. Yesterday, crates of it were distributed free of charge to doctors and nurses in the parking lot of Pasadena's Rose Bowl. I paid a visit and talked to Gustavo Friedrichsen, CEO of the Los Angeles County Medical Association, which organized the event. Friedrichsen began by telling me about what was being given away. Every crate has 495s, 200 gowns. Um, we just got the hand sanitizers in, um, 2,000 sets of gloves. Um, and so they have a two-month supply. We check with doctors on what did they need and how long does that need to last. So, uh, so they got a, each, each doctor will get a two-month supply of PPEs, which is fantastic. And, and is it weird to think that, you know, you're a medical professional and you come to the parking lot of the Rose Bowl to get your PPE? I mean, that just seems strange to me. It shouldn't be happening. But it is happening. It should be happening. Why, though? I mean, doctors should have free access and unlimited access to supplies to care for their patients in a safe way. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, um, the demand was outweighed the supply. And doctor, these are all doctors in private practice, by the way, so you should know this. These are not doctors in large groups that have access to supply chains, access to resources, access to gloves whenever they need them. These are all doctors in the community in private practice. They don't have those resources. They don't have a supply chain manager. So they're depending on going to a site to buy masks like other people do 
And guess what? The site's out of supplies. So we are now stepping up with a $12 million effort to get them the supplies they need for two months. And I'm also committing that we're going to do another event in about three weeks. We have to. That's Gustavo Friedrichsen, CEO of the Los Angeles County Medical Association. In the California desert, there's a town called California City, and it's unusual. First, it has a Twilight Zone vibe, with miles of neatly laid out streets with nothing on them and that go nowhere. Second, California City is also a place where people have had their dreams and finances destroyed by questionable real estate development schemes over the decades. Most recently, those schemes have targeted immigrants. That's the focus of a new KPCC and LAS Studios podcast called California City, and I spoke with its host Emily Guerin, who started by telling me a little bit about how California City came to be. So California City is a small town in the Mojave Desert. It's about 100 miles north of Los Angeles. And in the 1950s, it was kind of the dream of this real estate developer named Nat Mendelssohn. And this was a time where a lot of urban planners were kind of turning their backs on big cities. You know, there was this perception that they were crime ridden and polluted and you could just sort of buy a bunch of land out in the desert and start over and sort of build a new city without any of the problems that the kind of older more established cities had. So that was Nat Mendelssohn's idea. Uh, basically created instant city where once there was Joshua Tree and sand, there would one day be a megalopolis. Exactly. Yeah, I think he viewed it as sort of the next Palm Springs or the next San Fernando Valley. So California City is a place that has sucked in a lot of perhaps naive people for many, many years and basically has taken their dollars in one way or another without providing any return. Yeah. And I think if you think about it, I don't know how naive some of the people were. I mean, the history of California and Southern California in particular is one of like, you know, turning empty desert land into sprawling megalopolises. And I mean, especially if you think about the history of places like the high desert cities of Hesperia, Victorville, um, Irvine. I mean, these places were definitely communities that were planned out of not very much before, and they have hundreds of thousands of people today. So I don't actually think it's that far-fetched if you're someone in Southern California to think, yeah, this has happened before. This is my opportunity to get in now early, and then I'll get rich when this place booms. How many people actually got rich, though? <laughs> I believe um, certainly the people selling the land were doing pretty well for themselves. And how many people got ripped off? Well, I want to distinguish between the past and the present because the current company that I focus on, Silver Saddle Ranch, they sold this sort of real estate investment product to around 2,000 people over the past nine years. Now, they've been around for a lot longer, and I don't know how many people they sold land to before 2011, but I do know that the predecessor company, the sort of developer of the city's company, he sold land to more than 73,000 people, um, and he made hundreds of millions of dollars. And Silver Saddle has made almost $60 million. So we're talking tens of thousands of people and hundreds of millions of dollars. And actually, in the most recent years, people who've been invited to hear the sales pitch and to tour the ranch have primarily been immigrants, right? Whether they're Latinos, Filipinos, or Chinese. Right. Those three groups in particular, um, Silver Saddles Management decided over the years that they had a lot of luck selling, um, selling land, selling these real estate investments to folks. And it's interesting to read. I don't want to give too much away, but there is a, a state regulatory agency that's looking into Silver Saddle now. And so I've been reading through a lot of the court documents and the documents sort of show how Silver Saddle came up with the idea of targeting these groups of people. 
And it's it's pretty incredible to read. I mean, they would do things like, you know, knowing that like the number eight is considered lucky by some Chinese Americans, they would try to have prices end in like 88 cents. And they would just sort of do all these things to sort of try to appeal to what they thought these specific groups of people would be interested in, whether it was advertising at Filipino grocery stores or, you know, offering round trip tickets to Hong Kong or Manila or Mexico City. They definitely went in pretty hard on these specific groups of people. Emily Guerin, host of the LAS Studios podcast series, California City. Thanks so much. Thank you. And finally, from California to the Red Planet. A few months back, we took you inside the Jet Propulsion Laboratory near Pasadena to see the unveiling of NASA's new Mars rover. Well, on Thursday of this week, that rover, called Perseverance, is scheduled to be launched from Cape Canaveral in Florida. When it gets to Mars early next year, Perseverance will look for evidence of ancient microbial life on the planet. In a first, it will also launch a miniature helicopter to explore Mars from the air. And back here on Earth, that's the California Report for Tuesday, July 28th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in L.A. Have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Ideas for storing leftover paint to keep it fresh and tips for using it up can be found at paintcare.org. Water heaters only. Specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured. Open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit Donate dot kqed dot org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks hi i'm sasha coca host of the california report magazine every week we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant diverse golden state because what happens in california changes the world i love this place we were once seen as like the place to be california The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.